of a new year and uh, January brings around several things. Uh, now I think it's shifted to, to February for some of the things that I'm going to talk about this morning briefly. It's not a political speech at all, but uh, Article 2 of the Constitution uh, requires the executive, the president, to deliver to Congress what has come to be called the State of the Union Address. I think that's going to happen February 4th uh, this month. Uh, a lot of people watch those. I haven't watched one in years. It's not a good model. I guess I should as a citizen. But a lot of people watch them because in that speech, the president, whoever he is at the time, gives a understanding of where we are as a nation and where he hopes to lead us in the future. You may or may not agree with that direction, depending on who's in power at the time, but the point is that there's an address made that gives a State of the Union, where we're at as a country. Well, this morning, in a similar way, but not same format, I want to give a State of the Church address. Uh, I think it's a great thing to do, to look at where we've been, where we are, and where God might want to take us. Now, make no mistake, the church is in an entirely different category than the government. So there are no parallels here. Uh, the church is a unique organization. The church is the one thing that Jesus himself set up before he left this world. And so we're going to look at the state of the church this morning. And where Jesus set that up uh, is found in Matthew chapter 16. The, the scripture reading this morning is going to be very short. It's going to be three verses from Matthew chapter 16, verses 16 through 18. This is the turning point of the ministry when Jesus is there at Caesarea Philippi and he's asking the disciples who people think he is and they give various answers and he says, who do you say? that I am. And that's where we're going to pick up with verse 16 with Peter's reply. So if you're able and willing to stand in honor of the reading of the word, I encourage you to do so. Beginning with verse 16 of Matthew 16, Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Father, thank you for this declaration, this revelation that you gave to Simon that the church is founding upon the 
founded upon the revelation of who Jesus is as the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And so, Father, we thank you for that truth. Lord, now help us to apply that truth to our hearts as we look at the state of your church and the state of Sulphur Springs. God, that we might not only know that, but understand it and live it in a way that's pleasing to you. We ask, we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you. So I want to start off by saying the state of the church is good. The church of Jesus Christ is doing well. The underground church in China, in spite of the persecution, is growing. The church in South America and in Africa, there's people coming to faith in Christ. There's reports from the Middle East about our missionary, and these, this is the money that we give that supports these missionaries, that men and women, even from the Islamic faith, are coming to faith in Christ. The state of the church is good. Jesus said, I will build my church. And he's doing that. And the gates of hell are not stopping his church. Now when we shift our focus to America, however, we find that the, the church in America is not having that same growth that the church of Jesus is in other areas. Sadly, many of our churches in America are plateaued, declining. And that's not good. That's not good. Um, there's churches in America that have no longer, I guess a better way to say it, they no longer see this as what it is the word of God, his revelation to us. They no longer see that the precepts are binding upon us, that they actually mean what he intended them to mean, and they constrain, or they are to constrain our actions. Some groups, they might have formerly been known as churches in America, but they have left the authority of the word and biblically, I don't care what's on the sign outside, when you leave the authority of the word of God, you're no longer a church of Jesus. That's happening even in our own county. But I'm here to say that and this is the first great hope for Sulphur Springs Baptist Church because as a family of faith, we have not abandoned the word we're standing upon his revelation it is our authority and it is what we strive to fulfill and follow do we do it perfectly no but this is where our hope and our foundation is as it tells us who God is what he's like and what he said and there's where we're standing 
So that's a point of great hope. Uh, Martin Luther, one of the first of the reformers, when he was talking about the marks of a true church, said this, the first mark, the one true, holy, and apostolic church is present where the word of God and the gospel is preached and taught. That is occurring here. There is a true church of Jesus Christ here because our Sunday schools, our children's ministries, our worship music, and the spirit of all that we do is based upon the living word of God. We never need to abandon that. And as long as we stand on the word, there is hope. A lot of things going on in our world. A lot of things we're going to be facing this year and in the years to come. Some we can't even imagine. Who 20 years ago would be able to predict some of the things that we're dealing with right now? I dare say almost nobody. It's things that, that are going on in this world that you're just like, what? And we don't know what's coming in the future, but as long as we're standing on the word, there's hope for us. Now, that brings us to a point of caution. We've got to remain on guard. Because if you were to go to some of these places that say they're still a church and they're not, what would they say? Would they believe that they have abandoned the word? No. No, they, they don't. I mean, Satan doesn't come in and say, hey, put that, put that Bible in the trash can. Just get rid of it. You don't need it. No, he doesn't do that. What he comes in and says, you know, it's awful harsh, some of those things that are in that Bible. And wouldn't it be more loving, more kind, if we just loved everybody and accepted everything if we were just more inclusive that's the message and there is a subtle temptation because who wants to be unloving who wants to be unkind but that's the danger because see when you are more loving and more kind and more inclusive in their world you abandon the gospel because now you're accepting everything and you're getting rid of the need for repentance. Jesus said that was the gospel. Likewise, unless you repent, you also will perish. Jesus said that we're in bad shape and we need a savior. So we need to stand on the word, but we need to be on guard because those attacks are going to come and they're going to come with greater frequency. Now, you see the banners? There's one out in the hallway. This is a focal point. We want it to be a focal point for this year. Loving God supremely. And I'm going to get, I'm going to talk more about that particular scripture verse in, in a moment. But. One way, in a very important way, that we are going to love God supremely 
by following his word. The way he wrote it. And not coming up with our own thoughts about it. You want to love God, you get to know him through his word and then follow what he said. Now, what I want to do with the rest of the time is go over a vision statement. Now, we've been blessed by God in a lot of ways, and we are a healthy church. I hope you really looked at what was up here during our scholarship presentation. I didn't care how many people was. That's why I moved out, by the way. It wasn't that I, I was uncomfortable back here. I thought, you know, I want to see how, who, who all's up here. But I didn't count them. But how many were up here? 14, 15? Something like that? And then, of course, we've got a group uh, over here in, in our old sanctuary. They're, they're our kids' ministry. You look around at how many people are under the age of 20 in this congregation. We're blessed. Why are some of the churches in America dying? They're literally physically dying. Their churches are composed of older saints. And when these older saints die and they go on to glory... There's no one behind them to take the baton of faith. That's why they're shutting their doors. We're blessed. But in and of itself, a good, solid demographic, we got people in every age group from the nursery babies to the senior saints. That's great, but that is not enough. We need... To be living in such a way as that we're pleasing God with our lives. And this vision to share is just a tool. It's a tool, but the power of vision has been used of God effectively in his word. Moses had the vision of taking the people into the promised land. Joshua had the vision of the conquest. Nehemiah had the vision of rebuilding the wall. Haggai, which I talked about a couple Sundays ago about rebuilding the temple. Jesus talked about the vision of the mansions in heaven and an eternal home and a resurrection and glory. The power of vision can be enduring and it can be very effective. So this morning I want us to look back or look forward, rather, because you haven't seen this, but a vision statement we're going to hope to incorporate here in our church. But I want to say this, it's just a tool. In and of itself, it's words on a page. If, if that's all it is, you know, because, I mean, everybody's got a little slogan. Everybody's got a motto. But we need to allow the Spirit of Christ to move us forward in this. Pushing back the darkness one life at a time is a summary statement for this vision. It's focused on light and darkness. So we're going to take a closer look at this vision statement. The, the first slide you'll see 
is the vision as a whole. Uh, it has several different parts to it. Uh, has the mission, the purpose, vision, values, strategy, and motive. You can't really see that that well, so we're going to go through it one piece at a time. And the next slide is our mission. Now, the mission has been given to us. It's not up for debate. It's a non-negotiable. The mission is not ours to choose. Jesus gave this to the disciples. There at the ascension on the Mount of Galilee, as he's getting ready to go back into heaven, this is what he said, and he has never rescinded this. This is for us as a church. Our options are, are we trying to fulfill this mission, or are we not? But this is the mission. And he said, go therefore and make disciples. He never said anything about converts. He said disciples, and a disciple is a follower of someone else. If you're not following Jesus, you're not a disciple. That's what he said, go and make disciples. That's for us. Jesus saves people, but we're to make disciples. What is a disciple? A disciple, in essence, is a mature follower of Jesus Christ, who's investing in someone else for the purpose that they in turn might make disciples. It's a process of reproduction. Are disciples being made here? Yes. Do we have an intentional process whereby disciples are made here? No, we do not. But that's our goal, because this is the mission. He told us to go and do it. And he told us how. Baptizing them, assimilating them into the fellowship of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So there's some guidelines there. But he gives us more than that. But that's our mission. What's the purpose of making disciples? As I mentioned, it is to actively, intentionally reproduce other Christ followers. It means if you're not pouring into someone as a believer, if someone's not pouring into you for the purpose of making other Christ followers generationally, then we're not doing it right. This is what he would have us to do for a purpose. And when you go back to that light-dark imagery, the more light you have, the less darkness you have. It's that simple. And Jesus himself, while he was here, this is one of the great I Am statements there at the feast in John chapter 8. There at that last day of the feast, he's standing there before the fountain. The lights are burning in the background. We don't see that picture, because that, but that's what it would be from history. And in the midst of all that, he stands up and he says, I am the light of the world. There's a powerful imagery right there that we miss sometimes. But Jesus, that's, 
what he's saying. I, I've come for a purpose that people might follow me and not walk in darkness and be different. So that's our purpose in making disciples, that they might not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. And so when you go to the vision part of this, it's overall a vision statement, but within it there, there's this vision of light and darkness, pushing back the darkness one life at a time. Can you impact and affect the darkness of the whole world? No. Can you be used of God Push back the darkness of one life of someone who's living in your sphere of influence that's not a follower of Christ. Can you share the gospel with one person? I believe the answer is yes. You can, we can, I can push back the darkness one life at a time. God doesn't call us. He doesn't mandate us. To impact the darkness in Zambia directly, or Australia, or Iraq, or Alaska. He's put us here at this time in the history of the church to impact the darkness here in Alexander County, in Hiddenite, in Stony Point, in Taylorsville, in Hickory. And statesful. And we can do that as we remain dependent upon him. Paul had a mission. Part of Paul's mission, God told him there in Acts 26, 18. And this is kind of the theme verse for this whole idea of pushing back the darkness. But he actually says at the end of that verse... Paul, I'm sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light. That was Paul's ministry. But just like he gave Paul a specific ministry, he gives us one. And in this vision, our values are seen. And the values are those things that we place on our, the, the things that we treasure. And our ministries reflect what we treasure, what we hold important. And those are some of the things we value. That list, I say, is not complete. That can be changed. Uh, I think there, it needs to be changed to reflect more accurately our values. When you see people, prayer, children, students, and integrity, think, well, what about, and maybe there's something that comes to your mind that we really have that we do value through our ministry. So this is not this is not the Ten Commandments. These are not coming down from the mountain. They can be altered, changed, enhanced, strengthened. But these are some of the things we value. And when you look at the ministries we do, you see where they impact these things. Now the strategy is, is going to be a five-year strategy, and it's based on light. And if you, if you look at it on um, the, the whole thing we're going to go through, uh, 
each of these very quickly, but it's based on the acronym LIGHT. The first one, that just says it is strategies to help to assist. But the first one, and you'll see this reflected in the banners, is loving God. Loving God. Foundationally, if we miss this, then we're just meeting to meet. When Jesus was asked what, and the lawyer was trying to trick him, he said, what's the first and greatest commandment? This is what Jesus answered with. It's from Deuteronomy. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. That's the verse on these banners. This year, we're going to focus on loving God supremely. And that's going to be reflected through the preaching ministry and through the other ministries of the church. Now, the second one is intercessory prayer for lost people. Does that mean that we don't pray for lost people until year two? No. No. It's just a focus and a theme. Really, all these are going to be happening together. When should you be praying for lost people? If you're loving God supremely and you want to do what he's called you to do, and that part of that is witnessing, then you better be interceding prayerfully bringing the name of that lost person up before the throne of God. So when I say these are focuses for a year, this is about creating an atmosphere of discipleship that's going to take time. But loving God supremely, interceding for lost people, it's biblical. You see the scripture reference there. Moving on to the G is growing together. This is extremely important. If we don't get along in here, it's a direct violation of those first two principles I just mentioned. Because what the world sees, when we're not getting along and they know it, and then we tell them about how we can love God and how I've been praying for you. And this is what Jesus is about. And then they say, if you guys can't even get along, what do I need Jesus for? It all goes together. But the high priestly prayer of John 17, this is the heart of Jesus for his people. That we might become one. In unity, as he and the Father were one in glory and are perfectly one now with the Holy Spirit. Growing together, we've got to guard against division. The H is helping those in darkness. And again, we're not going to wait to the fourth year to start this. We're doing this now. We're part of a food pantry that reaches out to those with physical needs. But 1 John 3, 17 and 18 says, hey, if you've got stuff and you're not sharing it, you know, you can say, hey, love God, be good, be warm. You're not doing anything to help people. It's hypocrisy. So we're going to help those who need help. Because if you don't, Jesus fed the people bread. Then he told them that he was the true bread of heaven, but he did meet physical needs. So we want to help those. 
our brothers and sisters who are in darkness. That includes some of our own members who are struggling, but it also includes our community. And then the T is the evangelistic peace taking the light into the darkness. Christianity has always spread one life at a time. We think of mass evangelism, crusade, stuff like that. But when it really comes down to, it's one life at a time coming to faith in Christ Jesus. And that is generally, as the church spread in the first century, it was lay people going, living a life that had been changed by Jesus, and then sharing with those around them who changed their life and how their life could be changed as well. So we need to take the light into the darkness. The motive, why, and there's, there's, and I'm going to have this, you can, this is going to be printed out, and you, you can have it and talk about it in your Sunday schools and this, that, and the other. You'll be seeing more of it. But the why, why do we do what we do as we end this message as Mark and the musicians come? Our motive, and as we go into this year, you know, a lot of people are going to, New, you maybe, maybe you've already made them because typically they're made on January 1st, talking about New Year's resolutions. What date do you think most resolutions are broken by? Fourth, fifth, sixth, sometimes the second? <laughs> but why? Why do we do these things? What's, what's our goal? What gets us up in the morning? Some people, what gets them up in the morning is I've got a job to go to. I've got to make some money. I've got to uh, buy a new car. Got to get a bass boat. Got to get the, 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 the kids these, these, these clothes. I've got to do this, do that. I've got to sock away some money so I can retire and collect seashells for the last 10 years of my life before my health goes bad. Is that what it's all about? Our motive should be to honor God, and that means to obey God and invest in things that make an eternal difference. That last verse was 1 Peter 2.9, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, and then he says that... So that, here's the purpose, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Have you been bragging on Jesus lately? Have you been telling others what Christ has done for you? We, we need to remember where we came from. We're not good people. We're lost people who are saved by the grace of God. There's not a single person in here that deserves the grace that we were given. Jesus did so. What's that song say, the one we first started out? He picked my feet up from the miry clay. Jesus did that for us. Sometimes we forget how lost we were. Before the Son of God came to us. We were dead in our sins and trespasses. And he picked us up and gave us new life. 
to the praise of his glory that we might proclaim the excellencies of him. We've been saved for a purpose. We have a reason to be right now. This church exists for a reason. And there have been some good things going on. I'm not saying that there hasn't. But we're not at the end. We're not at the, hey, well, there's God, there's nothing else we can do for you. We've done it all. We're not there. There is way more that Jesus would have us do this year and in the years to come. And I was going to share some goals, and, and that's what I originally started out doing before I got led this way. But um, you'll hear more about those goals later, specific things where we'd like to see God work in and through our congregation. But as we have this time of response, it, this is a consecration message. Are you serving Jesus like he would have you Serve him. You may be. Praise God for that. But if you're not, it's a new year. It's a new opportunity. His graces are new every morning. This is an opportunity to say, Jesus, I want to do this for you. You've done this for me. I can't repay you. It's not about that. But it's about out of the gratitude of a grateful heart, Lord Jesus, I, I want to serve you. I want to make it. I want you to empower me to make a difference in the life of those around me. And if you don't have that indwelling, if you don't have Jesus in you, that's where it starts. Just this this past uh, couple of days ago, we had some young people on our trip. Uh, two of them came to the understanding that they weren't saved. They they didn't have a relationship with Jesus, and they surrendered became saved gloriously saved we rejoice in that if that's you that's where it starts you can't bypass that you've got to have that relationship with Christ but if you're one of his let's live for him Father God I thank you for this time thank you for this, this opportunity to just worship celebrate your goodness and your grace. Father, I thank you that Jesus supernaturally empowers his church. God, if it was left up to us as people, we would have messed it up and it would have been dead a long time ago. But Jesus keeps it alive because of the promise he made and the power he has. Father, we at Sulphur Springs do not have to be, we're not, by your grace, a, a declining church, but we don't have to be a plateaued church either. We can be a thriving, growing fellowship that sees men and women, boys and girls, come to faith in Christ. And Lord, lives change for your glory. God, help us not to settle for less than you have for us. God, help us to just receive what you would have for us to do. We ask and we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Please stand, turn to page 488, just as I am. <coughs>